Well, welcome to part three of our series, Oceans of Grace. Oceans of Grace. Together, we're diving below the surface of a story that centers around a prophet named Jonah. The story is written down in a book that bears the same name. Fitting. I invite you to open up a Bible or Bible app and meet me there. Now, when last we were with him, Jonah was lodged in the digestive tract of a rather large fish that mistook him for a meal. This was after he was thrown overboard from a ship that was caught in a storm out at sea. God sent said storm because Jonah boarded said ship because he was running from his assignment, which was to travel to a city called Nineveh and warn them of coming judgment. God is not pleased with how you are conducting yourselves, and he wants to give you a chance to change. Now, Jonah was not fond of that idea, so he ran. So God put Jonah in time out to think about what you've done, young man. As the next chapter opens, said fish pukes said prophet ashore. Land ho. Now, I, I, can't, I can't decide which part would be more unpleasant, the going in or the coming out, right? I just discovered this, discovered this last week per Google that a synonym for throwing up is to play the whale. That's true. You can Google that yourself. Now, I, I don't know in what context you would ever use that phrase. <laughs> Just a bit of useless information for your next trivia night. How's that? So the fish, the fish brings up Jonah, which is in contrast to his previous pattern of descent that we saw in part one of this. Friend, God wants to raise you up. He wants to raise you up, and he's willing to employ whatever means necessary to do so. Don't be stubborn, because it might be a fish, okay? Now, on short, God speaks to Jonah a second time. Go to Nineveh and deliver my message. Do you ever wish that, that reading the scripture, you could hear the tone of a conversation? It's, it's kind of like when you're having a text conversation with somebody and you're like, is it, I, don't, I don't know what, is this sarcastic? Is this snarky? Is this serious? Are you trying to be fun? Like, what is the emotion and the tone here? I, I wish sometimes that we could get that from Scripture. And, and, and this is one of those cases. Go to Nineveh and deliver my message, Jonah. Now, as we might expect, Jonah listens this time. He, he complies Walking through the streets, he proclaims, in 40 days, Nineveh will fall. Now, what happens next is incredible. It's, it's, it's astonishing. It's amazing. Faced with the prospect of imminent judgment, the Ninevites are shaken to their core. The king hears word of this, and he issues an executive order. Everybody fast. Everybody put on mourning clothes. Maybe it's not too late. Maybe God will yet be merciful to us. In that hope, he is correct. Seeing their humble repentance, God 
relents, and so ends chapter 3 of the book of Jonah. The chapter is a testament to a kind and forgiving God who gives second chances freely. First to Jonah, and then to the people of Nineveh. Now, as with the rest of this book, there are so many powerful truths here for us to explore, to apply. In our time together, I want to share just a handful of those with you. And and here again, I'm drawing from some really beneficial, insightful resources written by a couple of guys named James Bruckner and J.D. Greer. Um, I'll include those references in my sermon notes in case any of you want to dig deeper. There's a lot of information in there that we just don't have time for. But let's lead off with this. God asks for obedience, not outcomes. God asks for your obedience, not outcomes. Now, now hearing that, listening and, 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 and looking at that, we might think, are you, are you sure? Because, because this isn't the way things work in our culture, is it? This isn't the way our contractual obligations, our contractual relationships work. We expect results. And if there's not results, said contract can be terminated, right? But take a look at what God says here to Jonah at the start of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't y'all grateful for second times? Aren't you grateful for a God that's willing to repeat himself? Because we missed it the first time. So I'll say it again. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God speaks to Jonah again. And it's significant that this second time echoes the conversation of the first time. The, The language of it is much the same. God takes Jonah back to the beginning. Back to the same conversation we already had. Back, back to the place where he said no so that he can have another chance. So, so that he can repent. Why is that? Because God wants our obedience, church. And it starts in the very places where we resist and rebel against him. I'm going to take you right back there so you can start there. It's as if God is saying, let's, let's, let's try this again, shall we? You missed the first time, Jonah, and it didn't end well. But I'm going to give you another chance. And, and, and we can keep doing this until you get the right answer. Listen, for, for all the ones who have wondered if you've gone too far, for all the ones who, who wonder if you've walked away or said no to God one too many times, that maybe you've crossed a point Cross the line and there's no return. There's no coming back from that. I have really good news for you, friend. God is a God of second chances. He's a God of second chances. And that starts right here. It starts right now in the moment that is before us, the moment that we have. In our missteps, in our mistakes, God invites us to start again. He gives us another opportunity to obey. So so permit me to ask this question, friend. Where in your life do you need to change your no into a yes? 
where, where you've been telling God, no, 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 I don't want to do that, God. That's not for me. No. Where do you need to change that into a yes? Now, there's more here. I, I want you all to notice how God says the message is his, not Jonah's. Go to Nineveh, Jonah, and proclaim the message that I give to you. Now, now scholars commenting on this indicate that the language may suggest that God doesn't even tell Jonah what the message is until he gets there. How many of you planner, prepper, type A people, that would just drive you nuts? It's me, okay? Jonah, just go. I'll make sure you have what you need when you're there. Trust me in this. Be obedient to me in this. There's, there's no huddle to call the play. Just, just, just go out on the field, Jonah. The, the message, the planning, the strategy, it's God's, not Jonah's. Right? He, he does not task Jonah with changing anyone. I'll take care of the results. You just deliver the message. This this is all God at at, at work. Jonah just has to deliver the mail. Now, this becomes even clearer as the story progresses on because the entire message that Jonah preaches consists of five Hebrew words. Essentially, y'all have 40 days left. That's it. Right? End of sermon, mic drop, we're done. Don't get any ideas. I need more than five words, okay? But that, that's, that's all he says. It's not a persuasive message. Again, the, the, the scholar I mentioned, James Bruckner, he says this message is short, offensive, and vague. And yet, look at what it accomplishes. It brings an entire city to their knees. How does that work? But who, who accomplished that? Certainly not this foreign prophet from a despised enemy nation who has precisely zero credibility with the locals and is covered in whale goo. Jonah didn't do it. It's God's message. It's God's word. You know, Paul, in another place in, in, in the scriptures, talks about the foolishness of preaching. Right, did you realize that's, that's my job description? <laughs> Through the foolishness of preaching, God changes people's hearts. And we see that on full display here. It's God's word, God's power, God's results. Listen, church, we don't change anybody. I can't, you can't. And I, I would just... Release some of you from the pressure that you've been putting on yourself to change people in your lives. Some of you are stressing yourself out and you're putting way too much pressure on your shoulders to try to change people. You can't change people. You can pray for people. You can speak truth to people. You can love people. You can point people to God, but you don't change them. God does that. Jonah said it in chapter 2, salvation belongs to God. 
It's his. Our, our job, again, is just to proclaim the message. Now, to clarify this, should we aim for results? Yeah, we should. I, I don't want you to like, okay, don't have to try. That's not the takeaway, okay? We, we should do what we do well. Scripture says do all that you do to the glory of God. Do what you do to a standard of excellence. Leverage every opportunity, every resource you have to point people to Jesus. Okay? We, we should do that. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, it comes down to this question. Was I faithful to what God called me to do? Was, was I obedient to God's call on my life? That's the metric of success. That's it. Listen, this should encourage us. I, I really hope that's what you're getting here. That, that you're not discouraged by this. You are, you are encouraged. You are emboldened to live out your calling. Because the only real failure is to say no. That is the only real failure. God asks for obedience. He takes care of the results. Here's, here's another takeaway for us to consider what matters to God that doesn't matter to us? I, I, I just want you to pause with that for a minute. What matters to God that doesn't matter to us? Take another look at the phrasing of verse 2. How does God describe Nineveh as a great city? In the Hebrew, the, the, the phrasing is literally a great city unto God. Translation, it matters to him. It's important to him. He cares about it. He cares about his people. That's, that's evidenced in the fact that God is mindful of these people, that, that, that he will go to any length to ensure that they hear his message and, and be given a chance to change. Even harsh people even cruel people, even evil people. God cares about them, church. God loves them. They're dear to him. Later on, there's a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And listening to God, hearing God's words, he, he writes this down. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? This is rhetorical, meaning that, that if we know God's heart, if we, if we know who he is, if we know his character, the answer to this should be obvious. This is who he is. This is the heart of God on display for us. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to, to come to repentance, to turn around, to find life. And I, and I wonder, I have to ask the question, is that our heart too, church? Is that our heart too? Is that what we want? Now, by contrast, Jonah doesn't care. This, this is not a good look for Jonah, by the way. This, this book is a book of contrast. And a lot of times, it's, it's God exposing what's in the heart of his people that should not be in the heart of his people. Jonah doesn't care. We, we see that in his attempted escape in chapter one. We'll see it again next week in chapter four. 
It, it seems that Jonah only goes to Nineveh because he has discovered he cannot outrun God and not for a lack of trying. Tried, didn't work. Right? Jo- Jonah already attempted this and he doesn't want to see what comes next if he says no again. So he obeys, but it's only grudgingly. Where are my parents at? You have children? I I, I picture Jonah, you know, like arms crossed, stomping his feet. Go clean your room. No. Go clean your room or else. Fine. Not that that ever happens in my household, okay? That's completely hypothetical. God, I'll go, but not because I want to. In church, it's true that God wants our obedience. He does. But even more than that, he wants our hearts. That's the prize. That's what he's after. If God has your heart, everything else falls into place. So to ask it again, do we care about what God cares about? Do we love what he loves? Do we hate what he hates? Do do our hearts beat with his, break with his over the the brokenness of a world and the fact that there are people dying who are disconnected from life and hope? If not, then may we have the courage to pray for a change of heart. God, change me. Make, Make my heart like your heart. Here's a third takeaway. In weakness is strength. So this, this is an incredibly successful mission trip by any standard. The citizens of Nineveh realize their wrongs. They choose to change wholeheartedly. To put this in perspective in terms of numbers, the population of, of the city of Nineveh, this would be like almost the entire population of Dayton just showing up to church one Sunday. Like, yeah, we've been missing it. Here we are. This this is a big deal. The the words of Nineveh's king are especially telling. Check it out what he says. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And there is so much in that statement. Okay, if you tuned in for week one of this series, you may recall that Assyria, the empire of which Nineveh is part, was proud of its reputation for these very things. Evil and violence. Right? That, that's what they celebrate. They use pictures of torture for interior decorating. True story. Right? This is how they make their name in the world. This is, this is the thing on which they construct their identity. We are cruel and violent and powerful. And now, now they're repenting of it. They're turning away from it. This is a complete change, church. It's a complete turnaround. Now, now what's interesting is that this word urgently can also be translated as mightily. Let everyone call mightily on God. The the language speaks of force or strength. So, So can you see what's happening here? The Ninevites were mighty 
in their pride, in their power, in their domination, in their conquest. Now they are mighty in humility and repentance. In other words, they're finding strength in their weakness. It reminds me of something that a guy named Paul will write many years later. You may remember from our last series, Paul's a guy who knows something about turning around. He knows something about being one way and then going the other direction. Somebody who knew about violence. But God changed him. And he says this, but he, that's God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is not how I would have written that sentence. God, are you sure about that? I'm not so sure I like that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul came to see his weaknesses, his deficiencies, his lack as an opening, as a doorway for God's power to work in his life. Church, when we stop leaning on our own abilities, when we stop leaning on how good we are, when we stop leaning on people's opinions and perceptions of us, our our own attempts to fabricate an identity for ourselves, when we stop trying to be our own God and let God be God, that's when we discover true strength. That's, That's when we plug in. And so I would ask you this question and, 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 and ask you to spend some time with it. What are you relying on for your identity and your strength, friend? What's the source of that in your life? What do you need to give up to let go of in order for God's power to work in your life? Learn a lesson from the Ninevites. Call mightily on God. Find strength in your weakness. Here's one last stop for us today. God delights in giving grace. If you didn't know that already about God, I I pray that you take that to heart. He delights in giving grace. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So zoom in on those first three words there, when God saw. God was watching. He was watching. It it almost seems to give us the sense that that he's just looking for an opportunity. I'm I'm just looking for an opening. Just, Just give me something, not to condemn, but to forgive. How different is that from a conception of God that so many people in our world have today? 
Yeah, God's watching. God's up there in heaven scrutinizing our lives. Angry, vengeful, fists clenched, just waiting for us to mess up so he can drop the hammer on us. Friend, can I tell you, that is not the God of the Bible. That's not who he is. That's not his heart. He does not enjoy judgment. He delights in mercy and compassion. He stands ready for an opening through which he can flood his grace. And let me tell you, it it can be the smallest of openings. That's all it was for the Ninevites. They they just believe God. That's what it says, which is the language of faith. They open themselves to God's mercy and hope they will receive it, and that will be enough. And it was enough. It was enough. God is a God of second chances. He delights in giving grace. So, So landing this, I just want to close with a few questions. First of all, have you opened the door? Have you opened that door? God wants to pour out his grace in your life. Do you believe in this God of love and mercy and compassion? And will you open yourself to those things? And on the other side of that, who in your life, who in your orbit, needs what you already have? So we can look at this story from from two different angles. One is, that of the Ninevites. I need to be a recipient of grace. I need to repent of some things, turn from some things. That's what that word means. And receive grace in my life. We can also look at it from the perspective of Jonah, who also, by the way, needs to be the recipient of grace and turn from some things. But he's also tasked with transporting that grace, carrying that grace to other people. Who in your life needs what you have, friend, and how are you showing them? How are you telling them? 